This is an ABC podcast. Hi, Rihanna Patrick here, and thanks for pressing play on this episode of OzYA Extra. In this episode, I catch up with debut Canberra author Leif Shalcross about her retelling of the classic French fairy tale Beauty and the Beast. A Beast's Heart is reimagined from the Beast's point of view and introduces you to some of the characters which appeared in the original version of the story. Don't forget you can subscribe to the podcast by searching for Rihanna Patrick on the ABC Listen app or through whatever app you get your podcasts through. You can also find me on Facebook, Twitter and Instagram by searching under the ABC Re, which is ABC R-H-I hashtag. Catch you next time. OzYA with Sarah Mayer Cox and Jean Wong. I've always loved fairy tales. I've always been a big, big reader of fairy tales. And um, when I was, I, I sort of had two revelations in relation to fairy tales. Um, when I was in high school, I first of all discovered a book called uh, Red as Blood or Tales of the Sisters Grimmer by Tanith Lee, who's a British writer. Um, and it was a collection of fairy tales that she'd written, but they were very adult fairy tales. So that was the first experience I had that a fairy tale could be something something new, something um, for adults. It, this I, it sort of moved me past this idea that fairy tales were these things for, for either for children or these sort of historical sort of remnants that were set in stone and couldn't be changed. Um, and the second revelation I had was when I discovered a book um, by another British writer, Robin McKinley, called Beauty, which is another retelling of Beauty and the Beast, um, but this time it's, it was in novel length. And um, this sort of opened up this world that instead of a fairy tale, like a short story that, that only took, you know, maybe minutes to read, um, this was a whole novel that, you know, I got lost in for a day or a week and um and i i think so i decided you know very very early on in in my teens that that i wanted to write fairy tales that were novels that you could just sort of lose yourself in leaf did you always have questions about the beast you know and particularly from the fairy tale version of events and what his story was all about yeah i i have i've always found the beast a very unsatisfactory character if you like <laughs> um <laughs> Needed more information. <laughs> yeah. Well, he's he's um he's I I I I found it really difficult to sort of grasp this idea that you have a character who's done something so horrible that you know that the fairy in in the piece or the witch or whatever has has felt moved to curse this person and and remove them from humanity for a century or however long. Um, yet that person is then subsequently capable of being not just rehabilitated into a, a reasonable human being, but into the hero of the story that, that you know, the heroine is able to, to fall in love with and, and sort of rescue. So, I mean, that, that threw up a kind of real quandary for me. And I, I guess I was, I was really interested to explore how he could have been cursed in, in a way that, that left him room to become that sort of more heroic figure at the end. When you were thinking about the Beast's backstory, I do note that there's a lot in this 
which I hadn't considered about the beast, to be honest, about how long he might have been sitting there waiting yeah. for this opportunity to come by, the fact that he didn't, he might not have really known much about why he was a beast in the first place. So how did you go about approaching the backstory to, to what we read of, of the beast in this? It was quite tricky um, and I, um, I remember... I, I think it, it came to me gradually in bits and pieces. The, the very first draft of this story that I wrote, um, the beast didn't have any backstory at all, and it was was and the people, the friends of mine who read it were sort of like, yes, but why? Why is he there? What happened? <laughs> what did he do? So I really had to kind of go away and come up with something. And I guess in order to kind of. Uh, preserve that sort of sense of someone who has done something terrible but not beyond the realms of forgiveness and who can rehabilitate himself I, I, I guess I kind of created this idea that he's he's under a misapprehension about why he's there he's made some assumptions about why he's there but those assumptions are not necessarily correct so because it's told from his perspective it's told in first person you know the reader is is only ever in possession of the facts that the beast himself has. So it was. It was. I think it was. It's very natural decision to um, keep some information from the beast, so that I could create a bit of a, a mystery for the reader as well. Well, that's what I liked reading about it was him discovering or rediscovering or realizing. Maybe it's more realizing that he'd lost so much of his humanity and that yeah. he had to learn how to be human again, despite the fact he was in beast form. And I guess there's. For him, I tried to give him that sense of um, his, for most of the book, his problem, I suppose, is that how he looks on the outside does not reflect how he is on the inside. So even even in his first life, when he looked human, he was a bit monstrous underneath. And then as a creature that looks monstrous, he's becoming more and more human. And also him re remembering uh, some of those memories uh, because it's been so long yes. and, you know, he has these recalls of particular moments, particular pieces of his life that he seems to have forgotten along the way. How did yes. you go about weaving that in as well of giving us, you know, that he's been taken over by the animal side of himself for so long? Not only the animal side of himself, but he's given so much Wait, I guess, look, I guess we're all, when we're all feeling down on ourselves, we all have a tendency to focus on the negative and on, on the things we don't like about ourselves. And my poor beast has spent a very long time <laughs> By focusing on those very <laughs> negative aspects of himself. So I think um, there's there's a there are points in the story where he begins to remember that um, that you know he did have people in his life before that he loved and he did um, you know there there were these very kind of human very positive sort of aspects to to his his early life that he's somehow as you say he's, he's somehow forgotten those or he's glossed over those and and in sort of reconnecting with those memories he actually starts to reconnect with the more human part of himself he still has a lot of learning to do about what about you know how to be a, a social human being and and how to be with other people but those those memories are sort of part of his beginning to, to take that journey back to being human. So, Leif, what research did you do into the original story from 1740 and 1756 into what La Belle Abette used to look like and, and those other characters that appear in that? I did, I guess, 
for the most part, I relied mostly on my memories of reading those stories as a child um, and and really just kind of used those stories a bit of, as a bit of a skeleton. I did go back and read, I think it was the, 1940, the 1740 version. Um, I did go back and read that at one stage just just to kind of see what, what other elements I could sort of pull out of that. And I think the, the portrait is one element that I... People, it's it's interested me how many people um, just assume that the Disney movie version of Beauty and the Beast is the defining version where, for me, it's not that at all and the portrait actually comes from, from one of the original versions. Um, but I... It's it's really very loosely based on on those. It follows that story structure much more than the more modern sort of Disney um, structure, obviously. So it's it's there as a touchstone and is more a retelling of those than anything else. But um, I I didn't faithfully stick to them, and and they were more a kind of a hazy guideline in the background. Uh, Disney has so much to answer for. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, but this, I mean, but we see some of those characters come back in your book. So we have talked a lot about the beast, but there are, I mean, we obviously haven't talked about the woman at the centre of this or her family. Yes. So who are the other characters that we get to meet in A Beast's Heart? Obviously, there's my beauty, whose who's name in this story is Isabeau. And she was actually really tricky because it was because this story is all about the beast. A lot of the sort of initial bits and pieces that I wrote on this, she was really a, a bit of a cipher. She wasn't much of a character. So I sort of had to um, really kind of go into her backstory and where she is and she's somebody who is is sort of almost taking a bit of a journey of self-discovery herself it's um she's she's learning about herself during this whole story as well as 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 much as the beast is um there's also she also has a family that she has left behind and um the beast um is able to view through a magic mirror that, that sort of magically appears in his house. And that the magic mirror is another element that has come from, from the original 18th century fairy tale. It's another sort of motif. Um, so he, although I think in that story, Beauty had access, the, the magic mirror was given to Beauty so she could, it was sort of almost like a television. She could watch plays and, and, and things and fireworks and stuff in, in the magic mirror. I've given it to the beast and... To be completely frank, it was partly um, a bit of a plot device. Um, <laughs> it was it was going to be a very boring story if it was just about Beauty and the Beast, um, sort of you know stuck together in a house for a year. <laughs> so, um, I've I've used it as an opportunity for the Beast to actually look outside his house and his gardens, which is the limit to 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 which he's allowed to venture. He's he's sort of imprisoned within that space. So for him, it's a way of looking outside that, which also then means that we um, we get a few extra characters through the story, and and it gave me the opportunity to um, to flesh out the lives of um, of Beauty's sisters and and father. In a lot of the, not so much the original stories, um, because she had sort of several siblings in those, but in a lot of the versions you see sort of appearing in, you know, the Golden Book of Fairy Tales and, and that sort of thing, she has sisters who are the sort of the 
typical sort of envious sisters who don't like her. They make her do all the work and they <laughs> sort of laze around complaining. And so I kind of took that as a starting point for her sisters. But I've given them the opportunity to kind of grow and develop past that and to sort of have lives of their own. And one of my early readers commented that she thought that was a really lovely way for the beast to sort of relearn how, how to be in society and, and how to how to relate to other people. And I, th- I thought that was a lovely insight. I wish I'd thought of it myself. <laughs> <laughs> With the things that you have taken from those original uh, versions of this story, was the case that I think it's, oh, I, can't, I can't remember, is it Marie who writes the letters? Um, yes, who's yes. writing the letters to Isabeau as her way of kind of part of her grieving process of not having her sister yeah. there, realising she's had to do all the work, but also documenting sort of the time that Isabeau is away. But is that yes. where that box that that she can kind of send letters to Isabeau through? Um, did, did that it, does that appear in one of those versions? No, no, I don't. I don't think it does. If so, it does, I've forgotten about it. So I think you just, that was my... Oh, wow. Yeah, I think I made that. I really like that, it, by the way. <laughs> thank you. Um, this kind of gives you... This is a bit of an interesting insight into my writing process, which is in that very first draft, when I was writing that scene where they were sort of unpacking, unpacking the saddlebags, I had it in my head that, that those saddlebags came back to the family with, with Isabeau's father on his initial journey. So when he had first encountered the Beast's castle and, and then gone back to his family, he took those saddlebags full of, you know, wonderful presents and, and things with him. So at that point in time, they needed to contain items for all three sisters, but I couldn't think of what Isabeau could could have out of out of all those presents. So I sort of added a box with her name on it, but it was it was just an empty box and I didn't know what to put in it. And then and then sort of as as the story was as the story developed, it just sort of naturally turned into a bit of a post box for Marie to place her letters to her sister into. Um and so it was just um good luck rather than good planning, but I think I think that probably characterizes my writing process. I, <laughs> I tend to kind of throw in throw in lots of bits and pieces, and then and then end up sort of pulling out and working with the ones that work for me. So, well, if I have read somewhere that you said that this was a very organic um, story, you didn't really do much planning. Um, but how did you no. find that process with no planning and uh, and doing you know a retelling? But there are a lot of fantasy elements in here, so you are world building yeah. as well, which is not an easy thing to do. <laughs> so so when when people when writers talk about their writing process, they often describe themselves as sitting towards one or other end of a spectrum. You go from the the planners down one end of the spectrum and the and the the kind of the the pantses you know we, we write by the seat of our pants up the other up the other end of the spectrum <laughs> um, I I think uh, my personal theory and I definitely sit on the pantser end of the spectrum but my personal theory is that a lot of our planning actually happens sort of subconsciously so when I say I didn't plan much of it I still had I guess you know I still had the overarching skeleton of of the the, the Beauty and the Beast fairy tale that we all know there to, to guide me. So I, you know, had had that to sort of pull the bones of the story out of. And the world 
I guess again, you know, the the I love stories that where where the world is is a character in the story. So if you think of stories like, you know, Hogwarts at, at, in, in Harry Potter, I mean, uh, Hogwarts is absolutely a, a character all on its own. And so for me, the the Beast's Chateau and the Beast's Gardens were, were just something that sort of, sort of developed in my head and, and came into being much, much the way that, that some of my other characters did. They sort of have their own personality. So it was easy. It's easy. It's very easy to write a character that you know. It's much harder to write a character where you have to really work <laughs> to find out what they're like. So, so that part wasn't too bad. Um, but, you know, having said that, I did take a very long time to write this first draft. I have developed a few other kind of novel projects since then and I'm definitely getting faster. Um, which but, is good. <laughs> um, which is good, which is definitely good. You won't have to wait 20 years for my next one, hopefully. So, One of the things I wanted to ask you about is that there have been a few retellings that have been published recently and they tend to go to quite the dark side of things, you know, the kind of uh, yeah. a, a very dark retellings and I think of um, not a fairy tale as such but the Alice in Wonderland retelling of what really went down with the the Queen of Hearts and why she's yeah. as ruthless as she is and how that could have been because of a broken relationship, which I just thought was <laughs> genius. But, um, you know, yeah. why didn't you choose to go down that path? What was it about this is very much, you know, the, the beast is still uh, the darkness that you remember from the fairy tale. He's got a lot of things going on, but it's still a lot lighter. It's still yeah. very much about yeah. their friendship before their relationship starts to blossom and, and them just getting to know each other, a lot of that. And it's yeah. quite positive in, in that space of how you expect two people who don't know each other who've been forced into a situation to react to each other. I have a few short stories published that are out there and some of them are quite dark, but I am a sucker for a happy ending, <laughs> um, especially especially when it comes to sort of romantic relationships. So I think if I'm going to invest the time in, in writing something as, as sort of time and, and labour intensive as a novel, it's probably going to be ultimately happy. So you want the payoff. Um, <laughs> yeah, I want the payoff. But I guess particularly with The Beast's Heart, my my sort of one guiding principle that that I was sort of conscious of from very early on was was that sense of wanting to just have this sort of world of enchantment that I could just go and lose myself in. So, you know, there are they go through difficult periods and there are ups and downs in the story, but for me, I guess what I was trying to convey throughout the throughout the story was that sense of enchantment and that sense of of wonder, you know, somebody just being able to I don't know, use this story as a bit of a happy place, I suppose. I really enjoyed, Leaf, that the attendants to the Beast and later to Isabeau were invisible. You don't really see them. You don't, you know, the Beast doesn't, you know, talks about how he doesn't really understand who they are or where they yep. come from, but that when he thinks of things or when they think he needs to calm down, that things kind of happen and appear. And yep. I mean, was there a yep. reason behind, I suppose, not going down that Disney route of, oh, he's a candelabra that sings? Yeah. <laughs> Talking candelabra. We all love the talking candelabra. Yeah, and a few people have expressed <laughs> sadness that there are no talking candelabras <laughs> in my story. Um, I look, it wasn't, I don't think it was a conscious decision. I guess it was just, you know, that's, that's somebody else's story. Um, and that's somebody else's character. Whereas for me, in my story, the magic 
the magic is almost a character in it and it's in itself and it's a bit sort of all pervading so um the magic is not so much several characters but it's this kind of magic in the forest and it's this kind of magic in the house and it changes in this way to to achieve these things and the the curse kind of has a bit of a mind of its own i guess i just never really felt like trying to manifest the magic in in a kind of a character that you could put a name to it's 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 sort of part of that world i suppose it's part of it's part of the chateau it sort of it lives in the curtains and it you know and it lives in the trees and the and the rose garden so so in the inanimate more so than a physical being you didn't feel the need yeah. to put it into a physical yes. being yeah yeah that just that just felt right for this story um leaf i was excited to see that your launch in canberra had your favorite english teacher turned up oh my god what yes. was it like to have them there at, you know i suppose the launch of your debut novel that was so exciting and john fulcher if you're out there listening that was awesome. Thank you for coming. You know, you read about people who talk about these moments happening to themselves and I, it just didn't even occur to me that it might happen. So he was he was my favourite English teacher in high school. He um, used to run the creative writing group that I used to go to, taught me heaps about writing and really, really um, gave me a huge amount of sort of inspiration early on. He's a poet himself, um, a very good one, Scott numerous books of poetry published I, I just didn't even he, he walked up to me at the launch at the end and said do you know who I am and I was like oh my god of course I do <laughs> and here's me at 44 going it's Mr Fulcher and he was like it's John <laughs> so <laughs> yeah no I, I don't think teachers ever understand that you can never call them by their first name regardless no, of if you're I an adult <laughs> Oh, I know it was so funny. So, um, and he was—he he was so lovely. We had a great chat. Um, he bought the book, so when I signed his book, I wrote, "This is all your fault." <laughs> in his book, and then he sends you his report. <laughs> yeah, well, hmm. um, no, but that was that was a that was definitely a real high moment. And before we run out of time, Leaf, I just wanted to ask you about what else you've been working on. I mean, I know this has just come out. The UK version is a hard copy and it looks absolutely gorgeous. Yeah, um, it's so pretty. <laughs> but what else have you got on the cards at the moment that you can talk about? <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got a couple of projects on the go. Um, I'm working on another sort of young adult book, which is um, based on, this one's based on Cinderella. It's not so much a retelling, though, in, in my Cinderella story she's actually faked her father's death and um to, to get him out of the disastrous marriage with the evil stepmother um and then and then discovers that in fact the evil stepmother is involved in a you know a nefarious plot that threatens national security and um so forth so um that's that's one project that i'm working on that's lots of fun and the other project that i have um which is probably a little bit further off just because it I, this one is planned as a series and um i'm a bit nervous about committing to an entire series but that's a sort of a a sort of a murder mystery with with magic um set in 18th century london with you know runaway orphaned heiresses and and dissolute viscounts and cross-dressing people and demons and angels so so drawing on your time as a london too. nanny yes absolutely <laughs> yes i love london <laughs> Oh, 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 oh,
Juliana. ABC Radio.